We're going to recap vision. I'm going to ask some questions. See who remembers anything from last week. What is the vision? What? Redemptive revelation of God. If a man has a vision and the vision doesn't have a plan to redeem you, then it's not a God vision. Amen? It's not a God vision. His vision is a redemptive revelation of himself, of who he is. All right, number two, without vision, what happens? Perish how? Earthly mindset. Good. We're just going to get an A-plus today. Without vision, we perish in an earthly mindset when we're called to a heavenly mindset. What do you do with a vision? What do you do when you get a vision? And why do we write it down and make it plain? Why do we have to write the vision down? Why did I have to get all these visions down like this? So you can read it and then run with it. Okay, so we can read it and then run with it. <clears throat> because if you don't write it down and, and make it visible, it, it, it's not a reminder anymore. We're visual people. We have to see where we're going. What is the vision's purpose? To redeem God's plan, to make you whole. Now, what will a God vision, what, a God vision will not do two things. Remember teaching? Will not deceive you and will not disappoint you. A vision requires two things. What are those two things? Faith and patience. Faith unfolds God's plan. Patience perfects you to carry out God's plan. That's what patience does. Patience actually builds your character to be able to fulfill God's plan, His vision for the ministry. And, and that's what we're in the process of doing right now is building character. That's what we're going through trials for. And that's why the enemy is so busy right now trying to pull you back into that old lifestyle because he sees the anointing. He sees the revelation. He sees the willingness to be obedient. And he hates obedience. So patience builds character in you to to carry out God's plan. No vision, God becomes an opinion instead of a reality. A vision will break all the natural bounds of your thinking. Because if you can't see your future, what happens? You won't have a future. All through the Word, God says, I'll show you things before they happen. He's showing us things all the time. Because there really is an appointed time for Him to show us things. And the reason we can't see Him because we're blinded. We've got a veil. We're blinded by the works of the flesh. And that's the flesh blinds us of... Uh, God's perfect plan in our life in some areas. So God gives vision to connect you with your destiny. Okay, so what's the vision of Kingdom Life Ministry? This was the first vision right here. The men here on the chart, that was the first one. What is the vision of Kingdom Life Ministry? Because that one chart sums it up. The beginning and the end. Wash the bride. How do you wash the bride? Revelation. Revelation is the word of God being revealed to you. That's what washes you. We can read the Word of God all day long and not get our spots washed. But you've got to spend time with God. And in meditation, He'll reveal a Word to you. And if you receive that revelation of that Word, it will wash a spot. That's what it's supposed to do. Spots are deception. It's the residue of the fall of Adam. So Kingdom Life's ministry vision is to wash the bride of spots and wrinkles. So how do we get rid of the wrinkles? And what are the wrinkles? Works. Our garments are all wrinkled up, trying to please God out of works. 
having a Bible study every night, going out knocking on doors every night. God wants a relationship with you, not with the people. You and the people, he wants a relationship with you first. And what happens is when you have a relationship with him, he will draw the people to you instead of you going to the people. Then the word of God said, he said, if I'll be lifted up, I'll draw people to you. If you'll just lift me up, I'll draw people to you. So, so the vision is to wash the bride of spots and wrinkles. And in that process, the bride is becoming whole, pure, holy. Jesus said you are his bride, but he has not received you yet. Amen? We're going to agree to that? Because he said I can't receive her with spots and wrinkles. I don't remember. Anybody know where that verse is? When you lift up Jesus, he'll bring everybody to you. It's in the four Gospels. I'll draw them. It's in the four Gospels. Not sure which one. <clears throat> okay, so once we all, say this group right here, gets whole. There's no spots, no wrinkles. Then the second vision, promotional vision, I call it, is, is the one back there, the fire of God that's around the remnant. That's when we all come collectively together, and that is the remnant churches. There's, we're not the only one. They're all over the place. Um, that God is raising up remnants that will have a majority of power. The church as a whole has power, but it's very limited because purity and holiness is not in the church. Flesh got in it. Man got in it. And when it got in it, we lost our relationship of intimacy with Christ. And that's why Jesus said, return to me. Return to me. Start your first works all over again. And you get that int intimacy with Christ down. Then you can get back on track and grow in him. So joining together as the glorious body of Christ, the end time church. And then the last vision, which, which Titan uh, is working on, our, our advertising and marketing people who actually did all this, they're working on the, the large vision for me, the campus, which is the worship center, which is a round building shaped like a crown. And uh, it, it seated about 20,000 people. And we had an orphanage. We had educational buildings. We had condominiums. People were flying in and just staying on campus uh, to receive and get refreshed. I'm telling you, there's going to be a time in these remnant churches that the people coming through the door won't have to go through what we went through. They'll be whole as soon as they come in the door. Quicken as soon as they come in the door. Their minds quicken as soon as they come in the door. That's the acceleration that's taking place. Now, we went over the lost man over here on the left. And as we look at that man, Proverbs 13.5 says, He's a wicked man and is loathsome. And listen to this. His very breath spreads pollution. Who's got bad breath in here? That's what it says. His very breath spreads pollution Proverbs 13 5 it says his very breath spreads pollution and he comes surely to shame everything he does comes to shame I remember when I was lost I would start off doing something right and then it would turn into shame every time I just could not win you just cannot win without God it's impossible I it's in me to do the right thing but I didn't have the power to do the right thing you see um, and that's what Jesus Christ makes the difference. So his breath is polluted, and he is a lost man with good works and bad works. He could be a good man. He could be feeding the poor. He could be uh, meeting people's needs, but that's called works without Christ. So he could live a good life and helping people, 
and not get to heaven. Proverbs 13.21 says evil pursues that man. Proverbs 13.21 says evil pursues the lost man. It tracks him down. It chases after him. And you know, evil doesn't come in the way of evil. It comes as an angel of light. It's beautiful. It entices the five senses. It lures you in by the five senses. See, it's beautiful. It brings you in. And the Bible says the end is death from submitting to that. And we went over to Ephesians right at the end. We went over to Ephesians 2.2 about the lost man, which he's a Gentile. That's the Gentile man. Uncircumcised heart. He is without Christ. He is a stranger to the promises of God. He is angry, fearful, and has no peace. He walks and lives according to what he sees in his sight, and he walks according to the course of the world. He walks according to the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's his life. He is a follower of the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? Satan. His spiritual father is who? Satan. He is the father of lies. So his spiritual father is Satan. He is, his spirit man is totally dead to God. It's dark. His eternal home is where? Darkness, fire, and torment. That's his eternal home. You see that void right in the center? I think it's interesting how the Holy Spirit, because I didn't have that void on my vision. I just drew a dark man when I gave it to, to Titan. But I prayed for the people that were working on these things, and the Holy Spirit got in it, and the Holy Spirit put a void right there. I looked back at my, I still have my original drawings. I went back, and it didn't have a little void, little open spot there. You see, the lost man tries to fill that void with money. He tries to fill that void with things. He tries to fill that void with women or men or sex or perversion, any kind of relationship. He's trying to fill that void with all these things he tries to fill that void with entertainment. That is a holy place. God has his finger on that place. Nobody can take that place because the Bible says God has put eternity into the hearts of men. He has put eternity into the hearts of men and only God can fill that place. I'm gonna read Ecclesiastics 3.11 and we're still going over last week's session a little bit. I wanna get this Make sure y'all y'all have done a good job, by the way, of asking, uh, answering these questions. Ecclesiastes. Isn't that somewhere near Proverbs? Right after Proverbs? Yeah. Pro Proverbs 3.11. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11. I'm sorry. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he also has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds, a divinely implanted sense of purpose working through the ages of, which nothing under the sun but God can satisfy. Yet so that men cannot find out what God has done from the beginning and the end. David, that's a good verse for you to use for evangelism. Nothing can take that place but God. Romans 1.29 says this man is filled with unrighteousness. He's filled with sexual immorality. He's filled with wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. He's full of envy, murder, strife deceit, evil-mindedness. He's a whisperer. The Bible says whisperers are evil, backbiters, haters of God. He's violent. He's proud. He's boasting. He's an inventor of evil things. 
disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. Thank God that God desires that all men be saved. Because you know this man's living a miserable life. That's his life. We just talked about his whole life, his character, the fruit of his life. Um, and the older he gets, the worse it gets. That's Romans 1.29. Romans 1.29. So we're supposed to live from the inside out. Amen. We're supposed to live from the inside out. Transforming the soul, which is the mind, to align with God's thoughts, his words, his motives, and his heart. That's what transforming the mind does. There's so many Christians right now who are entangled in the effects of sin and are still wounded and acting out of their unbridled emotions and unbridled thoughts and unbridled words. That's what wounded Christians go through. And I always say if, if the devil is that busy with a Christian, because some Christians go through more stuff than other Christians do. I've seen it. It tells you that one is marked, chosen to destroy Satan's kingdom and other people's lives. We're all supposed to be doing that, but their chosen ones are really the ones in the fivefold office. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And Satan will use those unbridled emotions and unbridled thoughts and unbridled words to keep him in captivity and keep him up for report, re, repeat performance year after year, never getting past the same old stuff, never getting, never getting a breakthrough. I can lay my hands on him, and you can lay your hands on him or her and break that stuff off of them. But if their mind has not been changed or renewed by the Word of God, that spirit comes right back, lands right back in that soul, and then laughs at you. And it gets worse, it's seven times worse. And they, 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 they don't know why they're not getting the victory. You already have the victory when, you, when, you, when Jesus comes in, you're going to heaven. But you want the victory here too. So the ministry, this is a, a manifold ministry to, uh, to work the completion of the complete man. And this is a ministry that will not cast you aside if you've done something wrong. This ministry is called to pick you up, love you, back in to fellowship, back into unity. Because that's been the history of the church. They cast the ones aside that can't seem to get the victory. Amen. And the reason they can't get the victory, because the ones that have been casting them aside has had no revelation. The Lord just told me, I'm going to write that one down. They've had no revelation. So they don't know how to handle that person. So they just move him on, get him out the way. But thank the Lord, we've got revelation. There is a revelation that exposes Satan's tricks and the deceit he uses to keep believers living in their old habits and all their habitual uh, reactions and negative attitudes. There's a revelation that comes forth from the Word of God that exposes these things. And that's how you know God is at work. And the church wants to cast these people aside when God's trying to bring them in by the revelation because demonic spirits sleep. They sleep. They are at rest in the soul. And when you're under a ministry that's bringing forth revelation and it's going into your spirit, there is a season that that revelation is going to start moving on inside of you and the light that's on that revelation is going to expose that devil who's asleep. And he, when he wakes up, this is how you know he's waking up. 
because you begin to see the fruit of it in your life. You're doing the things that you said you wouldn't do. You'd say, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. I've conquered that because this spirit has been asleep for a long time waiting on the opportune time to oppose the revelation that's coming up out of your spirit. So we want to we bring these people in. We want to bring them in and love them out of that because that's what will conquer those spirits is love. The Bible says love conquers all things, all things. And we have to be patient with them. So my desire is for the body, the Christians, to live in victory over sin, Satan, selfishness, and the system of the world. Because we're not on the system of this world. We're governed by one law, and that's the law of love, which is associated with the law of life. You cannot experience life in peace until you experience love. It's impossible. Because God is love. He's love. Until you, you experience him individually or working through someone, there will be no life. There will be no peace. John 10.10 10 says, the thief, who's the thief? Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, what do you think he's coming to kill, steal, kill, and destroy? Steal, kill, and destroy. What's he steal first? What's he interested in? Peace. He wants to steal your peace because if he can steal your peace he can kill your purpose oh the teacher just showed up i felt him be oh lord jesus if he can steal your peace he can kill your purpose and then he can destroy your life but jesus said i came that they may have and enjoy life in abundance to the full until it overflows is what the, the uh, amplified says so Jesus came to give us life, which means what? Eternal. He came to give us eternal life, where? In our spirit, in our spirit. But he went on to say in the same verse, and abundant life. Well, I would think that if he, put, if, if he gave to give, came to give me eternal life in my spirit, that's pretty abundant right there, because that gets me to heaven. But he said, and abundant life to its Now, how do we obtain that? How do we obtain the abundant life that's in our spirit? Because that abundant life in our spirit is going to get us to heaven. But that's a twofold statement in that scripture. I've come to give you life, which means eternal, and life more abundantly. So he's talking about two lives. What's the second one refer to? Right here. Right here. So, so if he's given us that abundant life, and we are not living that abundant life, then... What's the problem? No. Satan's an associated problem at that point. You live, you grow into abundant living through the renewing of your mind. When you take that revelation that's coming out of the Word of God and you apply that to your mind, to your soul, it washes the residue of death that's in our souls and cleanses that area so that the word can come forth and create the abundant life here on earth. Ephesians 4 says that water is on the word. Didn't it say that? That Christ washes the church by the washing of the water by the word of God. So when is there water on the word? When it's revealed to you. That's the only time water is on the word. Because 
if water, if the revelation has been revealed to someone else, and he's trying to give it to you, then he's already used up the water on his dry soul. All he can do is teach it. But you've got to get the revelation of it. So the revelation washes the soul. The water on the revelation washes the soul. So the Word of God has two agents. It has a cleansing agent and it has a restoring agent. It washes first, then it restores. What's it restoring? The lost man. The ground. You remember, this is the New Testament garden. Right here, your soul. The Old Testament garden was the Garden of Eden. But this is what Jesus is restoring back to God, is your soul. So that's how you're, that's how you're going to live the abundant life. Are you enjoying the abundant life? Nobody, right? Well, let's begin with being a new creation. That's where it all starts. Okay, We're going into session number two now. So everybody got session number one down. The vision of the ministry, the lost man. Now we're going to the born again man. And that's what we're going to be working on tonight, teaching tonight. The new man, which is right here. This is the new man right here. The God man. The man that's never been on the earth before until Jesus rose from the dead and he came in to the Gentile and the Jew. But if we look at that man, in Ephesians 2 says that the new man in Christ is made alive by the Spirit. So you look at the difference between the old dead man and the hole that's in the center of his heart. Now the hole is filled with light. He is no longer a stranger or a foreigner, but a fellow citizen with the members of the household of God. Praise the Lord for that. Because don't you know, this is your family right here. If, if your family members are not born again, they're no longer your family. You are in a new family. These, like Jesus said, these are my brothers and sisters. These are my mothers and fathers, those who are in him. He is a son of God through the blood of Jesus. He, he is delivered, listen, he's delivered from judgment. We ought to give the Lord a shout for that because when we are, we are delivered from judgment, we are passing through. We don't have to go through what Jesus went through. He went directly to hell for three days. Can you imagine? being in hell for three days in fiery torment the bible talks about hell as being a a, 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 a series of pits that are about waist high about five foot in diameter and you stand in this pit the rest of your life with flames coming up out of the pit going through your body and your body never burns it's eternity for the rest of it. as long as you live flames are coming through your body you feel the effects of the fire but you never are burned up and it also says worms crawl through your body doesn't it say that that's eternity Jesus actually experienced that can you imagine how he thought the father had forsaken him completely even on the cross he said Lord Lord why have father why have you forsaken me well he didn't have a clue what was fixing to happen because he went down for three days and when he rose he passed the judgment for us he took on that judgment now we are that man right there has a joint seat with Christ in the heavenly sphere in that third heaven he is seated we are seated with Christ in the heavenly sphere our spirit is connected that's why when you go into worship you already you, you connect with him you connect with him you're already seated with him 
he, this man over here, this new born-again man, has an introduction to the Father. He's able to approach the Father through the blood by one spirit with him, coming boldly to the throne of grace. I think it's in Hebrews. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may have, have what? Obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But it says we have access through the Father, through the blood, by one spirit with Jesus. So when I call on Jesus or you call on Jesus, Jesus turns to the Father and calls on the Father and your spirit and Jesus' spirit are one coming to the Father. Now when the Father looks at Jesus at his right hand and, and sees you, because there's nothing hidden from his sight, he sees you already whole. This is what the Father sees. Why? Because he's looking through Jesus. All he can see is a bunch of lights in here when the Father turns to Jesus and looks on this service. But when Jesus turns and looks, he sees all our junk. That's why it said in, in Thessalonians that he is the one who sanctifies spirit, soul, and body. Sanctification means whole. He makes whole spirit, soul, and body. That's why it says we have a merciful high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and who can, and who can have fellowship with our infirmities. We have a merciful high priest. Thank God for that. You see, worldly things are leaving this man's life, and kingdom things are coming into his life. The Bible says he has a prearranged good life. That's why it says all things are working together for the good of those who love God. That means it is fitting into a plan of a prearranged life. So when th something's bad coming into your life, Jesus said, put your praise on because I am adjusting you. I am fitting you into a perfect plan that's been prearranged by my Father that you should live out on this earth. So when your trials come, don't let the devil that's already been condemned, that's, that's a, oh Jesus, that's associated in that trial, bring condemnation on you. Now, condemnation, the residue of condemnation is already on us. That's why we feel sometimes condemned or feel guilty because we're still dealing with the residue of the fall here. But we have to know that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ. You've been grafted into the vine, so there's no condemnation. Condemnation is not alive in you anymore. The residue of it is there, but you're not alive. It's not alive in you anymore. So when that devil condemns you in that trial, you have to know that you're feeling the effects of his condemnation. So you have a prearranged good life. Now, the fruit of this born-again man is what? What is the fruit? What kind of fruit is he bearing now? We heard about this man, the lost man, what kind of fruit he bears. And it was pretty awful. But what is this guy supposed to bear? This new heavenly man, what kind of fruit is he supposed to bear in this earthly tent that he walks in? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice self-control was the last one. Until you're bearing the fruit of all those other ones, there's no way you can control yourself because the fruit controls it. The character controls it. He has dominion on the earth. 
this born-again man has complete dominion on the earth, and he is constantly advancing into his kingdom inheritance. Now, what is the kingdom inheritance? You are in the kingdom. When, you, you, when you're grafted into the vine of Jesus, you are in his kingdom. But he is advancing into the kingdom inheritance. Now, what is the kingdom inheritance? That's the fruit. The kingdom inheritance is everything Jesus took back from the devil. And what did he take back from the devil? Everything he created because we gave it up. We gave our dominion to Satan when, we, when Adam sinned. So we gave Satan full dominion over all creation. So your inheritance is everything that God created for you to enjoy. He said, I've given you all things to enjoy that pertain to life and godliness. He, he created all this for you to enjoy. So the new man, what happened at the born again experience? What changed in your life when you got born again? What does born again mean? You know, when I got born again, I asked the Lord, I said, what does born again mean? Because you hear it all the time. What does born again mean? Something happens on the inside. Let's just look at a few scriptures. John, let's look at John 3, 3, 4, and 5. John 3. Write these down because when you, when you go to witness to somebody, this is the order. I said, Lord, give me the scriptures, the right order that, that will bring conviction on a lost man to bring him into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus answered him, who was Nicodemus. He said, I assure you, most solemnly, I tell you that unless a person is born again, anew from above, he cannot ever see, know, be acquainted with the experience of the kingdom of God. Now, I would ask what the experience of the kingdom of God is, but we're going to find it in a few scriptures ahead. So Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb again and be born again? And Jesus answered and said, I assure you, most solemnly, I tell you, unless a man is born of water and even the spirit, he cannot ever enter the kingdom of God. So what did Jesus mean when he said, unless you are born of water and the spirit? So what the water represents the natural birth. When your mother's water breaks, you're born into a natural birth. You've got to be born in a natural birth before you can ever be born again by the Spirit. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3.16. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, But whenever a person turns in repentance, there's the key word, to the Lord, the veil is stripped off and taken away. Praise the Lord. You know, that, that, that verse applies to our whole life walk with Jesus. There are times when the trial comes that it's our darkest hour on that door, doorway of threat change, that threshold of change, that we can't see where we're going. And Jesus is saying right here, if you repent, which means change your thinking, change the way you think, and the veil will be lifted, and you'll be able to see me on the other side of that darkness. Let's move on to Romans 10. 9 Romans 10 is 10 9. I want to witness to someone this is how you do it <clears throat> 10 9 and 10 and then we're going to go to 13 because if you acknowledge and confess with your lips now this is how you come to Jesus that he is Lord and in your heart you believe adhere to trust in and rely on the truth 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes. Now, there's the, there's the key word right there. Because a lot of people had confessed out of their minds, thinking they're born again and never got born again. Living that lie. And you know why? You know how? Uh, I can tell that they hadn't ever been born again because uh, by what comes out of their mouth. Because I'm going to tell you, I was the worst guy for cursing. Half of my vocabulary was cursing. But when I got born again, I couldn't say a curse word. It was impossible. The spirit of blasphemy had left. But listen, it says with the heart. That's your spirit. That is your spirit. And your spirit, the Bible says your spirit has to be contrite, almost broken, before Jesus comes in. Because he says, I sit at my throne up on a contrite spirit. I am enthroned on a broken spirit. Because a broken spirit no man can control. But it says, for with the heart man believes, adheres to, trust in, and relies on Christ. And so is justified, declared righteous, acceptable to God. And with the mouth he confesses, declares openly, and speaks freely his faith and confirms. See, it's in the words. It's in the fruit of the words that confirms if you've been saved or not. Because your speech should change. You should have a new talk and a new walk. Let's go on to 13. Verse 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, invoking him as Lord, will be saved. So that means he's leaving nobody out. Everyone who calls on the Lord, invoking him, provoking him. What provokes him? A contrite spirit, a broken spirit. That's why the Lord said, he said, Gene, you know, 80, probably 80%, 7%, I don't know. He said, a large majority of the church that's sitting on the pews is not born again. And they're going Sunday to Sunday thinking they're going to get to heaven. If you're not born again, your spirit's not sitting in the heavenly place. And when you are born again, the Bible says Jesus will not deny himself. So if your soul is sinning, because Apostle Paul had the problem. He said, I do the very thing that I don't like to do. The thing that I wish to do, I can't do. There's a war going on. So if, if you can't get the victory in some area of your life and you're born again and you die, you're still going to heaven. Now, if I debated with a religious person, he said, no, you can't. You, you can't go to heaven when you're sinning. Jesus will not deny himself. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always till the end of the age. So... What does this person, what price does he have to pay for going to bed over here with somebody and then, and then, and then coming to church and worshiping Jesus or uh, stealing and then coming to church and worshiping? What's the consequence? Well, one, he doesn't live the abundant life here on earth. It's impossible. But when he gets to Jesus, what's the consequence? The reward. There's different levels of reward. And we don't know what those rewards are. But we're all going to be rewarded just for having to live on this earth and being, you're all going to be rewarded. But if you, if you continually press in and have a repentant heart and mind, God will reward you here and up there. There's levels of reward. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I'm striving for the prize of the upward call of God. Let's move on to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. But God, so rich is he in his mercy because of an order to satisfy the great and wonderful tense love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead, 
slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses. He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he quickened him. For it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve that you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. So what's that verse telling you? You can't earn salvation. You can't work for salvation. It comes through grace. But he also raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in our heavenly sphere by virtue of being in Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, who did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor, and his king kindness and goodness of heart towards us in Christ Jesus. For it is free by free grace that you are saved and delivered from judgment. Praise the Lord for free grace. Praise the Lord for free grace. Let's look at Romans 14, 17. We're building a foundation of how the lost man got to be born again. Romans 14, 17. It says, after all, the kingdom of God is not a matter of getting the food and drink one likes, but instead it's righteousness, the state of which makes a person acceptable to God and heart and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So... The kingdom that you are grafted into is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And what is that kingdom? Righteousness, peace, and joy. So righteousness means you are in right standing with God through Jesus Christ. Peace comes after right standing with God. Joy comes after. And the reason joy comes after peace is because joy is a fruit, is a result of your coming becoming complete because if you're not complete in one area of your life there's no joy there's torment there's misery there's lack so this whole kingdom's on the inside of your spirit and what we're supposed to do is introduce this kingdom that's on the inside introduce it into the soul so when the soul comes in right standing with christ you'll experience peace in your mind and as you hold on to your peace jesus is making things whole on the inside and on the outside. You can't see that work because it's a hidden work. But when it's complete, he surprises you with the very thing that's going to make you whole. And something out there. The soul gets whole by what's out there. The spirit gets whole by what's up there. So when you're whole with everything that you need on the outside, joy comes. Joy comes when you're whole. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49. Thus it is written, the first man, being Adam, became a living being, an individual personality. The last Adam, who is Christ, became a life-giving spirit, restoring the dead to life. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. The first man, Adam, becoming, became a life-being an individual personality. So this is what happened. God made Adam out of the dust of the earth, molded and shaped him and laid him on the ground. And when God breathed into his nostril the breath of life, when the breath of life and the body came in contact with each other, it produced the soul. 
And that's why the soul was so independent, because it was not directly made by God. It was made by two parts coming together, the body and the spirit of life bringing into the body. When the two came in contact together, it produced the soul. And that give, gave the soul independence to choose. And that's the key word, choose. God wanted him independent, didn't want him to be in a robot. He wanted the, the man to choose him and love him. But it goes on to say that Jesus is a life-giving spirit restoring the dead to life. That's the born-again experience. The physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from out of the earth, the man of dust, the earthly-minded man. The second man is the Lord from out of heaven. Now remember, this man is an earthly-minded man, this lost man right here. Now, when you get born again, you're supposed to be heavenly-minded. You're supposed to think on those things that are above and not those things that are on the earth. But some of us think on the things that are on the earth before we think on those things that are above. And that's why we can't receive the things that are in, on the earth. Because he just said the Spirit comes first. Because the Spirit draws it to you. He says, now the, those who are made of the dust are like him who was first made of the dust, earthly-minded. And as the man from heaven, so also are those who are heavenly-minded. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we are bearing the image of the heavenly man. Well, here we are right here. This man right here, the born-again man, is bearing the image of the, of the man of dust, right? The man of dirt. He looks like dirt with all his darkness around him. But he's also bearing the image of the heavenly man on the inside. So he's got two images going on. Now let's move on to 1 Corinthians 1.18. 1 Corinthians 1.18. <clears throat> For the story and the message of the cross is sheer absurdity and folly to those who are perishing on their way to perdition. But to us who are being saved, it is the manifestation of the power of God. Now listen to that. It says the foolishness of the cross is for those who are perishing. I remember the guy that witnessed to me about Jesus. And I thought he was foolish. If I'd have read this verse before he started witnessing to me, I would have known that I was the one perishing and not him. But it says, but to us that are being saved, it is the power of God. And I thought I was saved. I said, I said, Lord, I thought I was saved. Am I still trying to get saved? Salvation of the soul. You see, when this lost man went from here to here, Jesus rescued him from darkness from the power of darkness. Saved means you are rescued from the power of darkness. Salvation means it's something you gotta work out. So the spirit man here that's been rescued from the power of darkness, I've gotta work him into my mind, my soul, so that I can, I can get over here. The only way that you can get from being born again to being whole, complete, is your mind has to be renewed, 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 and then you become like this. But to those who are being saved, so it's a process. You're already saved in your spirit, but you're being saved in your soul by the renewing of the mind. Okay, so now listen. Now, this is the question I asked earlier. How do you know that you are born again? How do I know that I am born again? This man's spirit was dead to God. And his spirit has how many functions? Who remembers them? Intuition, communion, conscience. Intuition, communion, and conscience. So, if the 
spirit man is born again to God, then that tells me that these functions are born back to God. So now God can speak to him in his intuition. That's how he leads man is by speaking in his intuition. God will not lead you by your mind. He speaks into your spirit, into your intuition, your innermost part. Then the unveiling happens to your mind. It's an unveiling that happens. So communion is having fellowship with God. See how we came in here and praised the Lord and worshiped Him? When I was a sinner, I didn't do that. That's that function, alive to God now, born back to God. It's having communion. Communion means fellowship, having fellowship with God through communication, through talk, through worship, through praise. And then your conscience is born back to God. Now, the conscience is the conviction of what is good and what is not good. It's a function that protects. The conscience is a function that protects. It's called the discerning function. It discerns truth. Now, all of these functions were in operation before the born-again experience. Amen? So, who is speaking into the intuition before God got a hold of him? Satan. Who is he having communion with? Satan. Who is he discerning? Satan. He didn't know the truth. So he was dead to God. Your, his spirit was dead to God. So when Jesus came in, when you confessed him out of your mouth and out of your heart, a contrite spirit, and he came in, the first thing that happened, he quickened these functions back to God. The light came on. Now he's God conscious. Now he has a thirst for the word of God. Now he's drawn to the church. I, I, was at, I was at church every time it was open. Every time the door was open, I was there after I was born again. Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday, Friday night, anytime it was open, I just couldn't get enough. But these functions are in infantry stages in relation to God. They're in an infancy stage in relation to God. Just because the light came in and quickened them back to God doesn't mean they're mature in God. We grow into hearing God's voice. We grow in fellowship with God. We grow in knowing the will of God. This is a process that's developed out of relationship. The, the, the more I get to know David, the more I know his voice. The more I get to know Verdice, the more I know her voice. The more I know her character. So that means I've got to spend time with God to know him. So these functions have to grow in God. So when this man here is... Is, has renewed his mind by the word of God. Over here in his next promotion of growth, he's hearing God a lot clearer. He's having more fellowship with God. He's spending more time in worship. He, he's he's, he's uh, discerning God more. His senses are becoming matured to discern what's right and what's wrong. You grow into that place. So how do we grow? How, do, how, does, how does the light grow in us? How do we grow? The new man is a spiritual man. Remember, he's a spiritual man. He must be fed from what is of spirit so he can grow. Let's look at John 6.63. John 6.63. Let's turn there. John 6.63. It says, it is the spirit who gives life. He is the life giver. The flesh conveys no benefit. There's no profit in it. The words truth 
that I speak to you are spirit and life. So Jesus is saying, the words that I speak to you have spirit on them, and they have life on them. Now, if the spirit of life came in you at the born-again experience, then it has to be fed with life to grow. So Jesus is saying, my words, which is the Bible, are spirit and they are life. And he went on to say, the flesh profits nothing. Well, there's two kinds of flesh. And what are they? There's two kinds of flesh the Bible talks about. This earthly tent, this is flesh. This is not what Jesus is talking about in this verse. Then there's our sinful nature, the residue of the fall. There's an internal flesh, and there's an external flesh. Our bodies, our external flesh, our internal flesh is our sinful nature, the nature that's bent towards the world and the things of the world, okay? Well, Jesus said, if you receive the things of the flesh, it will profit you nothing. In other words, there's no profit in it. So if it's not profitable to give life, what's it profitable for? It's giving death. It's actually strengthening this man of old. And it keeps the new man in captivity. When you constantly yield to your sinful nature, it keeps the new man in captivity. He's in prison because of your bent nature toward your sinful desires. And I'm going to tell you, that's a miserable Christian. That's what the Bible calls a carnal Christian. He lives in both worlds. He lives for the world, and he lives for God. It's a part-time uh, relationship. So Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. His word gives you the life of the spirit. The word is the supernatural spiritual food for the supernatural spiritual man. And who's the supernatural spiritual man? So we can stay on track. Who's the supernatural spiritual man? You are the new man. The Bible calls you a new man, a man that's never been created before. Matthew 4, 4 says, It is written, man shall not live and be upheld and sustained by bread alone. Now, what bread's he talking about? Natural bread. But it goes on to say that he shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what is every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? The word that's revealed to you. The word that's revealed to you. It's leaving God's mouth to your mouth. It's leaving God's mouth to the spiritual man on the inside's mouth. It's being fed by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what that man uh, grows on. Babies, so, so this, this, this little man here, this little infant, infant, infancy man, this baby right here, this babe, has to be milked. He can't comprehend these scriptures. I know when I got born again, I mean, the Bible came alive, but I had no idea what I was reading. I couldn't comprehend it. But the, but the light of the Spirit was drawing me to that because the baby on the inside was drawn to that food. And I remember asking the Lord, isn't it amazing how you can hear the voice of God so clearly when you're just an infant? And as you start progressing in this growth of maturity, you hear Him less for some reason because the sinful nature is opposing your growth. So there's a war going on. So I, asked, I said, Lord, I can't, you know, I'm just reading this thing, and, I, and, and I'm not understanding it. And he, he said, Gene, you are milking your spirit. A baby does not understand what he's drinking. But that milk is giving him everything he needs for growth. He said, just keep reading it. 
and you'll milk your spirit. Even if you don't understand it, you are milking your spirit. Your spirit man is being is receiving the life that's on the word because he is fed by life. So don't put the Bible down because you're tired of not understanding. Keep milking your spirit because you will grow. First Peter 2.2 says like newborn babes, First Peter 2.2, like newborn babies, you should crave, thirst for, pure, unadulterated spiritual milk that by it you may be nurtured and grow unto completed salvation. Well, what's completed salvation? The old man right here. I was in a, a Baptist church right after I got born again. I got born again in a Pentecostal church, and I went to a Baptist church after that because uh, my children were in school there. But the preacher, I remember him preaching this. He said, when you get Jesus born again, that's all you'll ever get. Don't expect nothing else. You've got all you're going to get. And that's why they're still right here. Angry. In fact, most of the angry Baptists I've met are pretty right here because they're frustrated. They're babies starving for food. They're babies starving for food. When people get hungry, they get angry. They don't care about nobody. They're going after food. Where's the food? And get out of their way because they're going to hurt you. So milking comes from the word. Now listen, milking the word of God is receiving the word at face value. Seeing the truth, but not able to discern the principles of the word. What did I just say? Seeing the truth, but not able to discern the principles of the word. Why do you need the principles of the truth? Why do you need the principles that are within the word of God? To grow. You can't plead the promises of God and not apply the principles of God. We keep pleading the promises of God, but we'll never receive the promises of God until you apply the principles of God. And the only way that you can get the principles of God out of the Word of God is you got to get past the baby stage. That's why you see a lot of broke, busted, and disgusted Christians because they're still infants milking the bottle. You can't receive what is mature until you're mature. A 16-year-old can't drive a car until he's 16 years old. So he has to grow into that place to where he can receive the very thing that his heart desires. But he cannot grow without the principles of God. And the principles of God are gleaned from rightly dividing the word of truth. And the, and, and the only way that you can rightly divide the word of truth, you have to take one scripture and meditate on it. Meditation means pondering, speaking out loud over and over again. There's something about you know, I was, used to pray silently all the time when I first got born again. And, and the Lord said, I want you to pray out loud. Well, I felt uncomfortable praying out loud. And I said, why? He said, because when it leaves your mouth, it is seed. So you're holding all your seeds in. I'm hearing your prayer, but your words are seeds that create your future. What you confess is what you'll have. Your words create your future. Your words are seeds. So I started praying out loud. And he said, notice when you pray out loud, you are completing a cycle. It is leaving your heart, passing through your soul, and coming out the door of your soul and making deposits. That's why it's important to pray out the Word of God, to confess the Word of God, because the Word of God will create your lifestyle. Years ago, the Lord said, Gene, if you want to uh, increase your standard of living, increase your standard of giving. 
If you want to increase your standard of living, you increase your standard of giving. We're supposed to be givers. Okay, so we're growing into completion. We grow into this new life. Your new life is in a new man. Let's read it, 2 Corinthians 4.16. We're almost finished. 2 Corinthians 4.16. It says, Therefore, do not become discouraged, utterly spiritless, exhausted, wearied out through what? Fear. Though our outer man is progressively decaying and wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively new, renewed day by day. So watch this. This outer man right here is getting less and less. And the inner man is what? Being renewed day by day. The only way that can be done, you've got to milk on this word. You've got to feed on this word. But it says, do not become discouraged, spiritless, exhausted, and wearied out through fear. Fear will keep you from growing. Because if you are spiritless, you can't grow. Because all growth comes out of your spirit. All power comes out of your spirit. So when, when Christians uh, are under that fiery trial, they stay right here. They run right back to their comfort zone because they don't understand the strange thing that just came upon them. But Jesus said, don't think it's strange because it's working, what? For your glory, for the glory, for the glory. It's working for you. So don't let fear paralyze you because fear will cause, this is what fear will do. Fear will cause you to run back this way back into this lifestyle. Now notice I had to walk back to get here, right? So that means I gotta gain some ground back to get back over here. So that means what I sowed, I've gotta reap back, to get back where I left off. So when fear comes, it's a spirit, and it's sent from Satan against your mind. Because Satan can see the big picture. Because what God does in the third heaven passes through the second heaven onto the earth, right? So Satan sees everything that's happening in the spirit realm. He can't do anything until he sees God do something. So when he sees God doing something for you, your prayers have been answered. Okay, you've been pressing through, pressing through that second heaven and getting a hold of God, getting the prayer through to God to answer a prayer. All right, here comes the answer. Here comes the answer, and it's passing through the second heaven, and all the principalities, powers of darkness are observing what's coming through. So what happens is, they send a spirit out of fear to come against your mind to keep you from moving over here. Fear will either paralyze you where you are or fear will drive you back to where you were. All through the Bible, God, God always warned the prophets to fear not before he gave them an assignment because he knew once he spoke that assignment, the spirit of fear was going to come. Bring fear into captivity. It profits nothing. So if we fight to hold on to the old life, we'll become weary through fear and the old man that is progressively decaying. All right, let's move on. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away, and behold, the fresh and new has come. How many of you remember when the fresh and new came at that born-again experience? Wasn't it awesome? I mean, the, the, the trees were so green, and the sky was so blue. Wasn't that the first thing you noticed when you came out of that church that day? That's the first thing I noticed. I said, wow, look at this. And here I've been living 32 years on the earth, didn't notice it. How beautiful what God created was. So the engrafting of Christ is the receiving of his life in you. 
Your old life is passing away. Your, the new life is fresh and all things are, all things are coming towards you that's new. Everything's coming towards you that's new. Everything that, that's, that's, that's behind you is passing away. You're pressing into the new things. Now, what is a new thing? Something you've never experienced before. It's all new to you. I've experienced a bunch of new, a lot of new things that I, I sure didn't have when I was lost. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless. So if you're not feeding the new man that is within you, you will never experience the new life you're called to. You'll never experience it. And that's what? That's this abundant life right here. This is the abundant life. When all the rivers of God are flowing through you, the river of prosperity, the river of all supply, being all your, everything is being met in your life because there's a river that has all the supply you need. God is so clear to you. It's like you and I having a conversation right now. That's how clear that when you get to that place it will be. And then there's the river of the angels that restrain evil from uh, uh, affecting this garden, this New Testament garden, which is your mind. So when you received this new life, you received a guarantee with this new life. And let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 5 and see what that guarantee is. It says, now, he who has fashioned us, preparing and making us fit for this very thing is God. Now, what's he making us fit for? The prearranged life. And it goes on to say, who has also given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the fulfillment of that promise. So what's the Holy Spirit? Guarantee of what? He is the guarantee that what God started, God will finish. It's a guarantee. And don't you know that guarantee will never be broken? It's sealed. It's going to happen. So God started my new life right here. And I'm advancing towards the completion of that new life over here. Now, I can get to that new life just about this quick. Or I can get to it very slow, baby steps. One step forward, three steps back. One step forward, two steps forward, five steps back. This is what happens in the spirit realm. When you get on that threshold of change, when God is advancing you into a new place, a new thing, the trial comes. And the trial is there to pull you back into your old life, into your old position. When God is pushing you, you see the Holy Spirit on the inside of that vision right there? See the light pushing the darkness out? See, as you're moving forward by faith, and moving forward by faith in that trial, the darkness is being dispersed because the light is coming forth and bringing you into that new position. That's why you gotta press through the trial. You can't get paralyzed by fear in your trial. You gotta press through it. You gotta bring that thought captive. You have to know that when fear comes against your mind, that it's a spirit sent from Satan to try to keep you from advancing into the very thing that you're asking God to make whole. A fearful spirit, the first thing a fierce, this is, this is how a fearful spirit speaks. He starts complaining. Someone that will complain will argue. Someone that complains disputes. That's the fruit of a fearful spirit. Because the enemy is complaining about your advancement. And he's using you as a mouthpiece. Think about that. If God said, do not complain. In fact, that verse is right after the verse that says, now you work out your own salvation. So my own salvation is what I received from Christ at the born again experience. It is now my salvation. 
Now, as I'm working it out into my, my mind from my spirit, the very next verse, God says, now do all things without complaining. Because God knew when you start moving forward, the spirit of complaining is going to come. And it's a spirit. I'm telling you, it's a spirit. And it's, and it's backed up by the spirit of fear. The enemy has a strategy. It's an army of spirits that just pass the baton. They keep passing the baton. But if you can bring down the strong man of fear, the Bible says you, not, you do not war carnally, right? But he said your warfare is not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, for casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Well, what can cast down an argument? The Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God does not return void. You can't contradict the Word of God. If God gives you a word and you're in an argument with someone and, and this spirit comes up out of your spirit and you speak that word, it's going to bring that argument down to nothing. Because spirits have to feed off of each other. If the spirit can get you to start complaining, because he's complaining, then he'll get you to argue because he's arguing. Then what happens? Division. You feel further and further and further apart from that person. Isn't that right? That's two spirits working to conquer Satan's kingdom is dividing people. God separates people from people, but Satan divides people from people. God separates you from your family, from your closest friends, because he's separating you to cleanse you. You can't be washed hanging on to somebody else. God separates you to cleanse you. Satan divides you to conquer you. Let's move on. So the good work of God will finish. It's a promise. But we have a part in that, and that is to cooperate with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Sanctifying work means separation and sanctification. And sometimes it's fr frustrating to feel we are in the middle of something and do not know how to go forward but to also know that we cannot go back. Don't you know that's a frustrating place to be? I, I, I call it between the already and the not yet. I'm in between the already and the not yet. I've already experienced that that's behind me, but I've not experienced the new thing that's ahead of me. So I'm in a, a frustrated place. I call it a godly frustration that I can't do nothing until the revelation comes because the revelation is what moves you forward. You can't do nothing. So this new man walks by what? Faith. He walks according to what? The conviction. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 7 real quick. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, for we walk by faith. We regulate our lives and conduct ourselves by our conviction. There it is, the key word. Underline that. If yours says conviction. We, we conduct ourselves by our conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things with trust and holy fervor. Thus we walk by sight, walk not by sight or appearance. Now, if you're going to walk by faith, you're going to have to walk by conviction. And, and where is conviction happening within you and your spirit? What function? Conscience. Conscience. When you feel convicted, that is your conscience. The conviction is doing what? Remember, the Holy Spirit was sent to do what? To convict. And to what? God. 
and to what? Teach. And it goes in that order. He was sent first to convict. To convict us of what? Sin. What is sin? Missing the mark. Missing what mark? Missing what God marked for our destination. There's a mark right there that God wants me to get to on that floor. And that's moving towards the new thing. He's marked something out for me that i got to start advancing towards. Now, if I'm back here and, and, and I get convicted because I'm, I think I'm supposed to go this way because temptation has come and it looks good, it smells good, it tastes good, it looks like God, so I'm going to go in this direction. All of a sudden, I feel convicted. That means I missed the mark. The mark's over there, not over here. That's why Jesus said, don't turn to the right or the left. Go straight. So sin is missing the mark. So when the Holy Spirit convicts you, and it almost feels like guilt, it almost feels like condemnation, but it's not. It's a conviction. You feel it right here. Guilt, you feel right here. Condemnation, you feel right here. Conviction happens right here in your spirit, man. That's how God leads us. And that's how we walk by faith, by the conviction of the things that are hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, Jesus is the author and the the finisher of faith, right? So you have a beginning of faith and you have a finishing of faith, right? Follow me. So this man has no faith. He has faith in himself because the Bible says we all have faith. We're born with faith. So we have faith in ourselves. We are self-centered. We are self-conscious in this state. But when Jesus came in, when I heard the word of God that was preached, when I heard the word of God that was ministered to me for salvation, and I yielded to it, then the spirit of faith came. Faith is a spirit. Because the Bible says it comes by hearing the word of God. So when I started yielding to the word of God, the spirit of faith came and moved me over to this position. Okay, now, faith has begun in this walk. Now, faith has an end, and faith in ends right here. Now, why does, why does faith end right here? So why don't I need faith? What does faith do? Faith keeps you yielded to God till God is filled in you. So your faith comes to an end. I, Jesus said to me one time, he said, Gene, your faith comes to an end. I said, Lord, if I ask a Christian that his faith comes to an end, he'll think I'm off on a tangent. I said, you've got to show me the word that my faith comes to an end and why my faith comes to an end. And it's got to be clear before I minister that out. And he gave me the verse. It's 1 Peter 1.9. And it says, receiving, 1 Peter 1.9, receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your soul. There it is, right there. Okay, now what is the salvation of your soul? It's whole. It's renewed. It's, it's, your mind has been renewed by the Word of God. So instead of fear uh, taking up residency in my head and anger and all these things that are not of God taking up residency in my head, now the Word of God has taken up residency in my head. And there's no place for these other spirits to live and dwell. So my faith has come to an end when I've been made complete of the thing that I was hoping for, right? So when I was hoping for a wife or and praying for a wife, my faith was out there for a wife, and a wife came, right? So I don't need to have faith for another wife, do I? So my faith came to an end, right? 
for the wife. So my faith came to an end. I don't need to have faith in that area no more. Okay? So, anyway. So when your faith totally comes to an end, you are flooded with God. Flooded with God. Last scripture. No, there's not a last scripture. Christ said, Jesus told me to write this out. He said, when a baby is born, biologically, he has everything he needs for adulthood, right? When a baby is born, he's got everything he needs for adulthood. He is just, he, ju he just has to grow into it. So the same is true for our spiritual progress. Godly growth is a journey of becoming who you already are. It's stages of godly development. As we feed from the word, we grow into challenge and victory. Th th this man here, when he starts growing to his next level of growth, what happens? First, he grows into a challenge. He's challenged because his old man that's passing away is opposing his growth. But if he presses on and presses into the kingdom of his next position in the kingdom, then when he gets there, he has victory. Then he enters into a rest, and then he can receive what he is resting for. And that's something out here, something that God created that he wants you to have so that he can establish his covenant with you. And what is the covenant? What's the covenant? The covenant is the covenant he made with Abraham. And what was the promise? We need to read about the covenant of Abraham because that's what we're growing into. It's in Genesis, I believe. It's in Genesis. He said, I'll bless you. First, he said, I will bless you. Now, bless means I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to empower you to prosper and succeed. He's just not going to give it to you. He's going to anoint you to create it, okay? Because the Lord told me if I can get the victory through you, I can get the victory to you because we already have the victory in us. But if I can get the victory that's in me through me, I can get the victory to me. You understand that? This soul is the mediator between the God in you and what God wants you to have on the outside of you. So the covenant is God was going to, he's going to empower you to prosper and to succeed. And then the next promise was, I'm going to make your name great. There's going to be a light on your name. He's going to make your name great. That's the covenant promise. And then he goes on to say, you're going to be blessed going out. And you're going to be blessed coming in. And then you're going to be a blessing because I've blessed you. And those who bless you, I will bless them. And those who curse you, I will curse them. Amen. So that's what you're growing into. Go read, read about uh, Abraham's covenant, the, the Abrahamic covenant. That's what we're growing into. Y'all getting anything out of this teaching at all? I, I tell you, I wish somebody would have taught me this when I got born again. I don't think it would have took me 20 years to get where I'm at, which is probably somewhere in here. I'm probably right here or right here, the second me. You see what I'm saying? If I'd have had the teaching, I could have got here real quick because I would have known what to do in the challenge, in the trial, in the hour of darkness. I would have known what to do. And that's not to look at those things or that those things that are seen. That's circumstantial, right? When something comes into your life that prompts fear, that's circumstantial. We don't look at those things because the Bible says it's temporary. God's fixing to redeem it. We look at those things that are not seen and speak those things as though they are, as though they are. The very thing that's prompting me to fear is the very thing that God wants to make whole, but I can't make it whole until I press into God. Well, let's stand up and give the Lord a big hand and clap of praise.